Hi, everybody. Welcome back. It's Jacqueline. And Alana. And here's another episode of Black and Yellow for you guys. Quarantine edition. Woo, woo, woo! <laughs> I don't know why I'm representing that hard. Like, it's literally okay. another week. <laughs> another week from home. Another week of quarantine. Yeah, we're in it now. And, like, it's pretty outside, so it makes all of this so much harder. I know. Today is the first day that it's sun's peeking through. It was raining for about a week, what it, what it felt like. Yeah. So... I mean, I'm grateful for any kind of weather, but yes, when it is beautiful outside, it is it is just another reminder of how we cannot be outside. <laughs> <laughs> no, totally. Uh, well, other than your taxes being done, thank goodness for right. that. How are you holding up, Jackie? Which feels super weird to say because of yeah, it is doing well, this show. First of all, I want to say that I miss you. I haven't seen you in over two so months. Much. Oh my god! <laughs> and that is going from seeing you on a weekly to bi-weekly basis to nothing is, is and having those meetings last at least a couple hours each time I must say it's very odd um and, <laughs> to say the least to say the least exactly and other than that I'm kind of just you know going with the flow I have my ups and downs here and there with you know this complete uh kind of lockdown but I'm pushing through, you know, there are days where I don't want to get out of bed and there are days where I jump out of bed. So, um, and I'm sure a lot of you guys can relate. I have been wearing sweatpants for over a month of, I'm sure there's the both of us you can relate as well. Um, details. Tell us about these sweatpants. <laughs> well, they're gray. <laughs> and I have the go-to color of sweatpants. <laughs> what did you say? The go-to color of sweatpants in quarantine. Yes. I have like four gray pairs that I've been just rotating and hey, sometimes I'm like, maybe I should wear jeans today and maybe I should, you know, wear a t-shirt. Mm, <laughs> no, <laughs> not going anywhere. Fair uh, enough. Fair cool. enough. And how are you doing? Well, it is a cool 920 in the morning to anyone who is listening. And so I would like to be calm and zen and and um, pleasant. But to be completely honest with you, Jack, I'm pissed. You're pissed. Yes, I'm incredibly bothered that this disease of COVID-19 mm. is disproportionately affecting and killing my people black and brown people at higher rates it scares me yeah. because i feel like mm -hmm. we are losing valuable members of our community every single day families will mm -hmm. never be the same i'm nope. irked no at all i'm irked that people are wondering why this is happening to black and brown people in mass but duh racism and structural inequalities this has been happening for decades why are we not saving brown and black people that's where i'm at right <laughs> Right. Like, yeah. I mean, I would be pissed. I'm pissed too because when I was reading the news and the statistics were coming out um, about you know the death tolls and the percentages and all the numbers and once again, you know, it was the percentages were much higher with African Americans. I went here we go course. again, and the story repeats itself over and over and over again. It's almost like I was watching some kind of bit with Trump. And I don't, I forget wherever the guy was obviously speaking for him. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> and it, it, it like triggered me. He was like, well, we obviously know that African-Americans have suffered with diabetes, blah, blah, blah. And he went on this rant about like, 
like you know how obvious it was and i maybe it was his tone maybe it was the state of 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 mood that i was in but i just i just went this can't be happening again and right anyway i just that that was that was it no for me it's just like We've literally been dealing with this for decades. This sort of religion of survival that so many low-income black and brown families face is now Mm -hmm. literally killing us. Before, we were just scraping by, trying to get by, trying to survive, trying to have happy families and trying to live in decent places, safe neighborhoods, uh, uh, adequate housing. And now all of that stress is still happening but we could literally die like this COVID-19 virus is ravaging the African-American community at such an alarming rate and I'm even after prepping for this episode which newsflash the episode today is about uh, (laughs) this recipe for disaster that COVID-19 poses for the African-American community. If you couldn't tell, I just had to go ahead and state that, uh, state the topic now. But um, I think what frustrates me is that we are still wondering why this is happening when the answers are not surprising if you are a person of color. They seem to be very Mm -hmm. surprising to white people. And I think that we're now jumping into action, jumping to ahead because these are also the workers that we are now deeming essential. They have gone from invisible to essential. And because white folks have to deal with them in some capacity, I feel like now people are like, okay, wait, let's get a handle on this. What are these structural inequalities? What are these unbalances in society, these imbalances, excuse me, in society that need to be fixed for African-Americans to not die at high rates because of COVID-19? Yeah. And on top of all of that, I can't find and haven't had an ice cold glass of my favorite simply grapefruit grapefruit juice in an ungodly long time. So I'm really just like agitated because I didn't really realize how much of a juice drinker I was until this quarantine happened. And now I'm realizing, damn, juice is my jam. And I haven't had any good juice in a long time. We should do... um... I'm gonna insert just a little light in here. Um, we should do, <laughs> we should do a little like, um, like a, you know, we talked about doing this like small snippets of like little conversations. Um, yes, we should do a like 21 facts that we didn't know that we discovered during coronavirus. Huh. I like that idea actually. Like, I Get your juice. list going. Yeah, and like I have an issue with sugar, and who doesn't also. <laughs> Jackie so. has four pair of gray sweatpants. <laughs> right, in case y'all didn't know. <laughs> um, um, anyways, okay. back to yeah. The <sighs> I need that little like yeah. laughing break. Exactly. So uh, <laughs> let's just talk about some statistics. So there's a couple of ingredients. We're cooking up a recipe for disaster today, mm-hmm. and. Mm. There are some some statistics that lead us to uh, the disastrous ingredients, shall we? Let's do it. So, as the numbers keep rolling in, which are changing every single day, here are some statistics that we do know. Severe cases of COVID-19, which is aka the illness caused by the coronavirus that's disproportionately affecting African-American communities. This is a report that was published by the CDC. And so this analysis 
includes data from 1,482 different coronavirus patients across 14 states. California, Colorado, Connecticut, Georgia, Iowa, Maryland, Michigan, Minnesota, New Mexico, New York, Ohio, Oregon, Tennessee, and Utah. And mind you, despite excuse me, accounting for more than a third of the cases that African-Americans make up, ooh, sorry, uh, of the coronavirus, there's just, in all of those states that I just mentioned, African-Americans only make up about 18% of all of those, of those individual states' populations. So the yeah. amount of African-Americans that live in those states, a lot of them have coronavirus. Right. More so with the rate. More than half of the people that yeah. are. Yeah. Thank you for helping me with that. I was having a hard time getting my mouth around that fact. I appreciate it's okay. that. It's really, yeah, um, it's, 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 the numbers are tricky because it, it kind of threw me off too. It's like 70% of people are infected, but they only yeah, make up 13% was, of the population. So exactly going like looking at those numbers, I had to stop. I had to keep reevaluating. Okay, wait, hold on. Let me see. Okay. Now, now I see, now I understand. So thank you for yeah. helping me with that. Um, however, in contrast, the white population in those states is about 59%. Yet they account for only 45% of hospitalized COVID-19 cases. So that's a massive racial disparity. It and among is, the 580 patients, yeah. And among the 580 patients for whom race or ethnicity was available, because mind you, with a lot of the statistics rolling in, race or racial information is not always available. Little caveat. Uh, 45% were white and 33% were black. And just check out some of these numbers, the numbers that confused Jack and I initially, mainly because they're just so horrifying. So in Louisiana, where the population is 33% African-American, Black people make up about 70% of the COVID-19-related deaths. Michigan, where the African-American population sits at about 14%, Blacks make up about 41% of the COVID-19-related deaths. Illinois has similar numbers, 15% black, uh, but African-American COVID cases or COVID deaths, excuse me, are for at 41%. South Carolina and Wisconsin have been reporting very similar numbers. You've also got Chicago with our, our girl Lori Lightfoot. Um, according to the Chicago Department of Public Health, which finds about 51.8% of coronaviruses are among black residents, which is more than twice the rate of other groups, Lightfoot has said that 72% of people in Chicago who have died from COVID-19 are black, despite African-Americans only making up just about 30% of the city's population. Jeez. These are huge huge numbers yeah. yeah the south has it really bad yeah and this virus is ripping through our community but unfortunately the racial disparities that are reflected in these numbers aren't necessarily surprising nope <laughs> so sadly Join us on this cooking show as Jackie and I make this disaster cake, shall we say. Mm -hmm. We're going to go through four of the big ingredients that uh, attribute to this problem of why COVID-19 is disproportionately affecting and or killing African Americans. So, ingredient number one. So, we need one heaping cup of health concerns or pre-existing health conditions. 
So there's been plenty of data to show that African-Americans have higher rates of health conditions like hypertension, asthma, type 2 diabetes, heart disease, high blood pressure, and obesity. African-Americans have also historically been underemployed and underinsured, thus not being able to obtain adequate, if not good, medical care to address these problems. So even before you factor in the stresses of coronavirus, these conditions can lead to a life expectancy gap that has been incredibly hard to close over the years, whether that's because of access to proper medical care or bias-free health care and medical care, very mm-hmm. important, access to insurance, access to healthy food. When you then throw coronavirus on top of all of that, these conditions are only exacerbated. So a 2017 Princeton study found that black children are more likely to suffer from asthma because they live in older buildings that harbor fecal matter and rodent infestations. And which are in segregated neighborhoods that are near busy highways that are harmful, that have harmful air quality. Mm -hmm. Or consider the fact that right now with Corona specific problems, there's a lack of availability of testing in black communities. So if someone feels like they might have symptoms of coronavirus, they've got to drive outside of their neighborhood to Let's say, for sake of argument, they've got to drive out of their urban neighborhood to a suburban neighborhood to afford right. to get testing if they can afford the test, which is well, its and own even if, thing. And if they also have a vehicle to drive, because most African Americans, you, you know, considering their form of employment, most um possibly have to take the bus or the metro which then you're coming into contact with more people who can then possibly keep spreading the disease even more and it's all connected Um, yeah let's actually zero in i want to zero in on the medical care the access to problem to proper medical care because i think that you bring up a good point within that which is a lot of uh, in a lot of black counties In the U.S., a quality hospital that's adequately staffed with all the necessary equipment might not be geographically close. Having or securing transportation, as you have just said, does pose its own set of challenges. And I'm saying pose its own set of challenges in air quotes, mainly because if you feel like you are infected with COVID-19, public transportation is probably not the best option, but unfortunately, it might be the only option you might not have members of your family that have a reliable form of transportation or if you do perhaps those family members have to use it to go to work or have to Mm -hmm. use it to help other ailing family members so just the simple securing of transportation is not super easy especially in a time like this and i think it can be really easy to forget that Right, and, um, it, and then, it feels like such a staple for most people, but for a lot yeah. of people, you know, same with Latinos that come here, you know, they don't, most Absolutely. of them don't, they bike everywhere, you know, they don't have mm-hmm. a form of a vehicle. Absolutely. And then also consider the fact that we live in LA, very metropolitan area, <laughs> ride shares like Spread Uber apart. and Lyft. Yeah. Um, ride shares like Uber and Lyft are plentiful for us for the most part. 
there are plenty of places in the United States, I would say probably more rural and way more spread out, um, that don't have yeah. access to those rideshare companies, mm-hmm. which sounds crazy to say in 2020, because I think that to a certain degree, if you are a particular age or you live in a, you have a certain living situation, you're just so used to the rideshare that yeah. to even think that it's not there is is lunacy. But right. it's a reality. And look, taxis are still expensive. So even if you have to for if, even if you have to utilize a ride share via a taxi, taxis are hella expensive. Yeah, they are. Um, a 2014 National Institute of Health study found that hospitals in predominantly black areas are more likely to close down than those in predominantly white areas, often making it difficult wow, for black crazy. Americans. Yeah. Well, it makes it difficult for Black Americans to access health care, but it also, um, upstate New York is having a bit of this issue, and I'm sure that other smaller cities are as well, where what hospitals are open, bigger cities are taking their supplies and leaving them chronically mm. undersupplied is right, another right, byproduct. Right. So if the, if, the, if the hospitals aren't closing down, they might not have everything that they need to take care of their patients, thus right. forcing them to go find a better place to go to garner treatment. Right. And maybe even understaffed as well, depending on. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Which is which is which is a huge issue right now. Or consider this. I mentioned uh, bias free healthcare just a bit ago which is incredibly important. Having doctors that look like us and that understand our unique medical concerns is of paramount importance. And I think that that's often a fact that gets overlooked. Uh, I've got a quote here from an Uche Blackstock. She's a physician who works at an urgent care site in Brooklyn. And so she had this interesting thing to say. She said, quote, we don't have access to care. And if we do, it's likely that care is of worst quality because they are often termed minority serving and they may not have a specialist or the resources needed to care for COVID-19 patients. And there's implicit bias on the part of the healthcare providers. And studies have shown that there is bias towards white patients over patients of color, end quote. Yeah. We've talked about this also we did. We in, have. in our um, African-American women and maternity and our mortality and the death rates that African-American women are dying either before, during, or after childbirth. We've mm-hmm. talked about this a little bit too, and it saddens me that it continues to be a chronic problem, or quite frankly, that hospitals or medical facilities are labeled minority serving. Right. When I feel like healthcare is healthcare and everyone should, it's it's the humane thing to do to provide fair healthcare to everyone. Right. It doesn't it, it almost feels like and in in today's world where something as fundamental, right, as healthcare mm-hmm. and living situations and a stable job and all the things that you would think in 2020 and in today's economy and how far we've come would allow African-Americans to at least have the simple fundamentals and essentials of life. Absolutely. And I think the reason why there is so much rage behind this, and I think the reason why they, there's so many articles about that, about this, 
is because due to coronavirus, I think it, the, the, the issue and the problems have always been there, but I think it's only exposed them even more due to the numbers. But the fact yeah. that African-Americans are still having to deal with these types of um, how inequalities, say, inequalities and uh, and and mistreatment. And the most, yeah, the most simple, basic fundamentals and essentials not being allowed to mm-hmm. have such easy access to that it seems like it's such a struggle to just get to or have. And, and then by the time they get there, it is, you know, they're treated differently or, you know, they're not understood as well based on the color of their skin. Everything mm-hmm. um, is it's shocking. Yeah, shocking, but unfortunately, like not totally unexpected, especially right now with like where our federal government is and how it feels like. I don't know if you felt like this, but I'm I'm incredibly happy to live in the state of California, having people like Gavin Newsom and Mayor Garcetti really, really help us all flatten the curve, really take this seriously, really jump, uh, jump, jump in position when they are needed to as opposed to a lot of Southern states where right. a lot of, where a, a very large part of our African-American community in the United States lives and resides. Yep. All that yeah. said, these chronic health burdens are nothing new. However, there is another factor that contributes to the ailing health of black Americans. And that is a concept called weathering. I feel like we've very quickly touched on weathering on the show before, but let's talk a little bit about this concept uh, because it is an interesting one. So the weathering hypothesis was first proposed by Arlene Geronimos in 1992. The metaphor illustrates how the ways that marginalized people and their communities cope with the drumbeat of big and small stressors that mark their everyday lives. What are some of those big or or small stressors, you may add? Things like economic equalities, housing equalities, the ability to find a good job, the ability to fend off microaggressions or straight up racism at your place Mm. of work should you be Mm. able to secure said good job. Your voice not being heard, your problems not being respected or solved, the general feeling of invisibility that many African-Americans or minorities for that matter feel on a daily basis or our bodies being dehumanized or devalued you know yes, a like lot of things like that social and economic factors that eventually with time take a toll on the body exactly uh the reason that geronimo's called the hypothesis weathering is because she wanted to invoke this sense of erosion by right. constant stress Absolutely. Uh, Full disclosure, she originally coined this phrase for black women initially, but I do think that the the concept of weathering can apply to African-Americans writ large as we're talking about the coronavirus. But she coined this phrase for black women after working at a school in Trenton, New Jersey, and she noticed a lot of African-American teenager, teenage girls, I should say, coming in pregnant and experiencing health complications Mm -hmm. 
during, before, or after delivery. And she was noticing that these health complications were not faced by these girls' white peers. So basically, if, if young white teenage girls were having babies... Uh, in Trenton, New Jersey at the time, they were, they had a a very different fate than these African-American teenage girls. So essentially, yes, I believe the the full phrase is weathering for black women. However, Mm. because weathering, the concept of weathering, um, really feeds into this accelerated aging process because when our bodies incur constant daily stress, it ages the body prematurely. I I would apply the weathering concept here because I feel like that that's a reality that many African-Americans are living with daily. And because black people have been living with these constant stresses for decades, which take a toll on our mental and physical and spiritual help and spiritual health, these problems have not gone away. They've only worsened. They will only continue to get worse until we as a as a country find ways for African-American people to be at least a little bit upwardly mobile to help mm-hmm. themselves or to to help themselves slash thereby helping the community at large be a healthier community. Right. Because the second ingredient in this disaster cake is eight fluid ounces of essential employment. Oh boy. So African-Americans are more likely to work in what we now consider, quote, essential jobs, which put workers in close contact. Exactly. In close contact with people who have poor help, thus making social distancing a challenge. This is also happening to our Latino community as well. Just have to mention that. So according to data from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, compiled by the Center for American Progress, black people are overrepresented compared to the overall population in the food service industry, hotel industry, and taxi drivers and or chauffeurs. Also, a lot of African Americans are less likely to have jobs where they have the ability to work from home. Mm. That is still very much a white privilege thing or an educationally privileged thing. You can't call in... Yeah, you can't call in like a, a a shelf stocking at a grocery store job. You have to go in there and you have to be working in person. Yeah, and you, then can't, also ima- you can't clean from home. Right, exactly. Right. But then also imagine you're putting your life on the line probably to come back to a home or an apartment that you share with other family members. Right. So right, if right. you get infected, then what happens when you go home? after work right and if you're taking public transportation just think about (sighs) from there to from home to work how many people you come in contact with Mm -hmm. uh, where you've sat where you've touched um chairs all of that um the the bus handles like the poles that you you know that you Mm -hmm. grab onto to sit um all of that starts spreading and it's not not just it starts just getting everywhere. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Uh, Preston Mitchum, he's the policy director for Urge, which is a nonprofit that advocates for liberal policy issues, said the employment opportunities available for many black people often put them at greater risk of being disproportionately harmed by the coronavirus. He says, quote, black communities are not socially distancing less than other communities. And if they are, it is likely because many of us are essential workers or working gig jobs to sustain our living. These jobs require more in-person interaction. I've got two fun examples for you. So take 24-year-old Clarionta Jones from New Orleans, who's scared of catching the coronavirus, but feels she doesn't really have any other options because she works in a grocery store and is considered essential. So, quote, I've got the only income that's coming into our house. And even with everybody getting laid off, they have still told us we have to come in we have to come up with April's rent. And honestly, if I'm sick, I'm just going to take something for it and go to work. I don't want to miss my check. I have two kids. This is not a choice. And she also mentioned that her managers have even told staff that they cannot wear gloves and masks when interacting with customers. Are you serious? Yeah. So she doesn't even feel like she could argue that. And, oh, and take no. care of her own personal health and safety for fear of losing her job. Or let's take 50-year-old bus driver Jason Hargrove in Detroit, who posted a video that went viral in which he said he thought he had contracted the coronavirus after a passenger repeatedly kept coughing and not covering her mouth. And he died less than two weeks later after the video was posted. Jeez. Yeah. Ugh. Consider this, if you will, a little um, uh, a little mind fuck to mull over, if you will. Imagine prior to coronavirus being an employee in a job that largely goes overlooked, underappreciated, and underrespected. And these are people. Yeah, these are people like bus drivers, grocery store clerks, postal workers, delivery drivers, servers. You and I, who met in a restaurant, totally know how much servers are overlooked and underrespected and underpaid. Imagine being going from being powerless to now incredibly powerful. I'm using powerful in the sense that. These people are performing necessary jobs that we are now realizing with every passing day that they are as much a necessity as they are necessary. Right. But not being empowered to fight for your health and for your life. Mainly because if you dare to jeopardize your livelihood, getting unemployment is its own hurdle to climb. And looking for a new job at a time like this is yielding little to no options unless you want to work at Amazon, who is looking to hire 75,000 new employees, as per an article I read before sitting down to record. Wow. I just... Good to know. (laughs) I just... Yeah, it's it's so tricky, right? Because then if you do look for a job, you are putting yourself at risk for contracting the coronavirus. And mm -hmm. if your job, if you've been furloughed or you've been fired because of the coronavirus then then there are things to consider especially if you have kids at home or older parents you're taking care of and then if you are at a job that is possibly exposing you to these dangers then it's a very very sticky situation but sorry you were you were talking so go ahead oh no no 
Oh no, no, you're you're totally fine. I was just thinking about that. I guess I in prep for this episode, I've been thinking a lot about these essential workers mm, and right. how before a paycheck was just a paycheck, but now a paycheck is so much more and there's just so much more risk on the line. Yeah. And I don't like I don't I know safely for myself, I probably if I needed to go work in a grocery store, if I if I had a job where I worked in a grocery store previously to this, I would have given up that job by now. I just know that I'm the kind of person that's like my health, my life. It's the most important thing. And right. And there are some people that might have that might have that same feeling sentiment, but don't um, don't don't can't afford it. Yeah, uh, totally. A hundred percent. And all of that said, that leads me to our next ingredient, which is one big hearty cup of structural inequalities. That thing that keeps underemployed, underinsured, young and old African-Americans still going to work, even though it's super risky, is all directly tied to the structural inequalities that have existed that have kept America or black America down and back for decades. So structural inequalities, whether they may be housing related, i.e. the continued difficulties that blacks have getting and securing safe and affordable housing, the ability to secure loans to even buy a house. Um, Oh, sorry. My notes just, uh, disappeared on me um the ability to sorry the ability to secure a loan to buy a house or redlining or maybe we're talking about the structural inequalities when it comes to employment like the ability to secure a job with a living wage plus benefits or the ability to not have to work multiple jobs which takes a toll on your health and well-being over time those are just some ways that blacks have been continually held back and held down by a society and in the case of coronavirus the housing disparity is the most troubling since a lot of black americans live in these really densely populated low-income areas making it physically impossible to safely social distance even if they would like to right it is it is is, it is a sticky situation to be in yeah um And people of color are more likely to live in densely packed areas and in multi-generational housing situations. Uh, I call them housing situations because they might not always have, I guess, the normal comforts that you would consider any normal house to have. It could be two or three bedrooms, five, six or seven people living in that house or in that apartment or in that living space. So Mm -hmm. even if someone, let's say a single member in that household were to get COVID-19, where do you isolate? Where do you go? You know, some people, some of these people don't, don't even have their own rooms and or they share or they sleep in the same bed um you know it's it's i mean there's a lot of that in the asian community as well you know where people everyone just packs into the house um and so if you do need to quarantine yourself it's, it's a little bit harder to do that yeah and it also even feels like to have like to be able to ask that question is a luxury right, right. yeah like, for sure what do we do if 
if if one of us has coronavirus, what other house can we go to? That is such a either first world privilege or just a wealth privilege question to be able to ask yourself that the sad reality is that if an, a low income African-American man or woman were to contract coronavirus and there's just no place in his whole, his her or their living situation to self-isolate. That means that everyone in that house is getting coronavirus, but that right. doesn't change the needs of the people living under that house or under that roof. That doesn't change the need to still bring in a paycheck and make income, which makes the 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 high probability that COVID-19 will continue to spread even higher. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so Vedette Gavin, she's a principal investigator for the Conservation Law Foundation's Healthy Neighborhood Study, had this to say. There are huge issues with housing that are at play. The poorer housing stock and code violations for asbestos, mold, and cockroaches increase the risk and prevalence of respiratory and pulmonary disease, which heighten the severity of symptoms for those who contact who contract COVID-19. Black and Latino families in urban centers tend to double and triple up when rent is up. Uh, tend to double and triple up when rent is unaffordable, making distancing in the home impossible. So the bills don't stop and the housing options are not getting any better for us. In fact, cultural redlining has been happening since the late 60s, early 70s. It is still continuing to happen. We're just large swaths of resources are being denied to low income black and brown communities. And it is quite literally killing us again. This is nothing new. (laughs) None of this is a new problem. No, it's not a new problem. It's pretty expected. At the same time, uh, it, I feel like it is unacceptable. Um, I do totally. think our government was, ex- I mean, I think the world was extremely unprepared for this. But I think also based on history, it's obvious to me um, that these areas and these people should have always um, extra care and extra protection and just extra attention because mm-hmm. of history and because of the statistics and because of the weathering and the structural um, inequalities that affect their direct health. Um, Absolutely. But it still seems like, you know, those programs are, are hard to put in place to get funding for, to get support for, whatever it is that is trickling from the top to the bottom, you know? Um yeah, but I would wonder lives like are lost. Totally. And I would wonder like is it really hard to put those programs in place or is it again that African American lives, Latino American lives are have have just, just been over? yeah, systematically undervalued that right. it's not that it's hard to put those programs in place but people like our our government just doesn't really give a fuck to do so. Right, right, right. They have other things to worry about, I believe. And 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 even so, if they were to get the funding, I don't know if it would go straight to these community. Yes, I really don't. Oh my god, yeah, that was the next thought on my mind. You took the thought right out of my mouth. Yeah. Um, I so. I will say, in prep for this episode, I did find myself looking around my very immediate community and seeing the resources that I have available at my disposal. 
specifically when it comes to food, because I think a lot of people are worried about where their next meal is coming from, whether you are a person of color, not a person of color, employed, under underemployed, unemployed, the whole thing. And I think it's really important to consider that We've talked about the lack of of adequate medical care in these dense urban populations, but we haven't really talked about the ability to secure food or food options. Because if we're considering health and wellness, food is is a very direct correlation to that, the ability to secure good food. And a lot of these areas more or less are food deserts places where good fresh produce and fresh proteins are not available places where the closest supermarket might be 10 15 20 miles away again securing transportation is its own problem but also who has that kind of time to travel that far to get basic food to feed a household and food deserts are especially sad to me because in a lot of these urban areas there's not a proper grocery store there's certainly not farmers markets but there's no shortage of convenience stores liquor stores little gas station mini marts where quote unquote food is available if you of the the processed sugary variety Right. Yeah. Which is most likely going to just lower your immune system and make you more sick, if anything. Yeah. And also, no one wants to eat that voluntarily. No. I feel like African Americans have very often been painted as these junk food consuming, poor, unable to, to know what a healthy diet is. And that's simply untrue. But we've got to have the options to eat healthy um yeah and i think when you are so used to not having the resources available even when you do have the resources available you're not always 100 percent sure how to utilize them because mm-hmm. maybe your household has gotten very used to the way that you eat the certain foods that you eat maybe the convenience of the meals that you prepare that we're starting at a, uh, an even more of a disadvantage if we don't have these available, but also if we don't know what to do with them. Right. Um, I've got a friend that lives in the, she lives in Willowbrook. That's like Compton, Linwood, Willowbrook, that little cluster of uh, cities. And I was talking to her, mm, I want to say maybe a week or so ago, and I was lamenting about being able to get really good fresh produce because we were ordering our groceries and produce was coming back bruised or not super fresh or, you know, just not desirable. And she was telling me that on on her side of town, there is no shortage of fresh produce at various grocery stores that she goes to. Like the produce section is the section that really hasn't been pilfered, but all of the inside aisles are empty. and. Mm-hmm. That made me really, really sad, mainly because I think, again, like the intention to want to eat healthy is very clear and very present, but you get used to eating the processed, not so healthy stuff for you. And during a time of crisis where everyone just wants their creature comforts and the conveniences, that's only ratcheted up. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's difficult, right? That, I mean, we could all, oh, don't even get me started on the food system. 
Um, <laughs> you have many thoughts. Is, yes. <laughs> yeah, that is that is something that plagues Americans as a whole, America as a whole, and then even more when you factor in all the other social and environmental factors that affect African-Americans and people of color, and then you bring in food into the picture, and I think it changes the entire game of it because your your food is your medicine. And if Ugh. your body has now been changed and has now become addicted to salt and sugar and fried and processed, then, and, and of course, America makes those foods cheaper than a pound of broccoli. So mm-hmm. why wouldn't you go buy a box of chips or a box of chips, a box of cereal, and a bag of chips. Um, clearly, I don't. I don't know what that is. Um, a box of cereal that has, you know, a ton of sugar versus like banana and oatmeal that you actually have to cook. And you know, mm-hmm. and maybe not. Maybe it's instant. But even then, it's like, it's just. It, there's so many hidden downfalls when it comes to all these little parts of all of our systems. I think that don't even allow, um, you know, many people of color to begin to even get their foot up because because once again the essentials um are not being met are are not being met but then also like they're not being taught you know and that's true yeah that's a good one too yeah i mean they're not we're not they're not really taught how to eat what to eat and that cooking's important you know like all of that things and you factor that into education and it's just it is like you said it's a complete recipe for disaster Yeah. And I think, you know, even when the world is not dealing with coronavirus, the education of healthy eating is still a hard education for a lot of communities to secure. Yeah. Because the American system, sorry, the the no, go for it. The the medical system here in America, I believe, likes to keep you sick. Mm. They want you to stay sick so you can continue to be on the meds so you can continue to go to the hospital and pay insurance and they're not in the business of health they're in the business of sickness and that's the the biggest number one problem i think with our medical system i'll stop there i won't get too political (laughs) i've seen way too many documentaries and i am okay i'm on the far end of this this spectrum here so i don't want to say anything that it's gonna veer us off the path or get myself in trouble so but (laughs) my opinions are there and they are very strong um i don't think you're on the far end of the spectrum i think you're on the passionate end of the spectrum oh thank you thank you yes very very passionate so um if you guys ever want to hear about my passions, <laughs> I can do. We could do like a you know an episode on the medical and food industry and big pharma and drug industry here, and it 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 blows my mind. So um, that that being said, I think because of their intentions, you know, then they mm-hmm. don't allow it. It doesn't give people the support they need to be healthy. Right. Exactly. Right. And I mean. Look, right now is not the time to right. start. Right now, yeah. now is the time to stay healthy. Yeah, exactly, and not stress yourself out about having to eat healthy. When look, what whatever you have at your disposal, we just have to make do with what we have. Right, uh, especially right. those people that are stuck at home with children. Like this is no yeah. time to change oh and interrupt kids' eating habits for sure. Uh, shout yeah. out to all the parents out there that all- are listening. And all the teachers. Oh, man. It's It's tough. I will say, though, that I don't know. This must be happening 
by you, but it's it's definitely happening by me. I think it might be all of LAUSD. It does make me happy to see that schools are staying open for lunchtime. So you that mean like they open for lunch, and yeah, then they so allow a people to schools, go there to get food, right? Yeah, they have sack lunches. The two that I walk by every day, they have sack lunches set up outside. So any kid that is in need, I'm going to assume it's a student of that school. Um, but any kid yeah, that is yeah. in need of a of a healthy meal, they're able to get it because for a lot of kids, school is the only place where they could get their reliable, healthy meals. And so that mm. does make me really, really happy. Interesting. Yeah. Again, like, go ahead, California. Do you? Um, <laughs> just, it's 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 important. I think that you know we, as we are pulling back the layers of this inequality onion, so to speak. As a Black American, none of this is new. Like I've said before, yeah. but it doesn't stop being disheartening. Yeah, it is. It it it. it for me, it's like I'm I'm constantly teetering between from like being shocked. And at the same mm-hmm. time, feeling like it is highly unacceptable, you know, um, yeah. and then going from a, then the emotions kick in and they just make me really sad because um, we seem to not care as much because of so many reasons. Um, and I just I don't think those reasons should be there anymore. But yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh I think we are caring so much more now because these low income workers that are now deemed essential are now dealing face to face with our higher income people. And those people now don't want to get sick. So it's like, well, let's let's fix these black people's problems. But why now? And and why in in this climate when that kind of structural change takes a very, very long time? It sure does. Yeah. And with all the other things going on in the country right now, I just I don't know how much yeah. structural change we're I going mean, to yeah, achieve about, right now. Right. Just talk about all the structure, two biggest structures, schooling and finance. I mean, that, yeah, like that we're just trying to itself. keep people alive right now. Exactly. Right. And then on top of that, um, dealing with all, all the other things, it's just I don't I don't know. You know, I don't know. Yeah, they, no, totally into it. Uh, final ingredient in this recipe for disaster cake one level cup of misinformation <laughs> misinformation all jokes aside oh tends to uh, constantly trickle into the African American community and it is so saddening to me mm. so Kanishia Grant. She's a political science professor at Howard University. She focuses on black voters' relationships with state and local governments. She says poor information from government leaders has shaped black people's experiences with the coronavirus. Quote, in short, I think the problem was not that black folks folks didn't get information from their governments. The problem was that we got bad and inconsistent information from our governments. We also had information that did not seem to represent people who looked like us. Again, there's mm-hmm. the the looking Another like us, being able yeah, being able to see yourself reflected in the the problems happening in, of today and being able to be spoken Relatable to in a well I think being spoken to in a language that we understand, I'm not talking about me and you, we speak English, a language we understand. I'm talking about more broadly, like the same human language. Yeah. The ability to communicate these important facts in a way that we can absorb 
and also feel empowered to act on and not feel scared or stifled by. Right, right. Uh, Grant said mixed messages from the Trump administration and some governors in states with large black populations caused confusion. Most black Americans, nearly 60 percent, live in the South. In states like Florida, Alabama, Mississippi and Georgia are all headed by governors whose messaging on how to stay safe was often inconsistent with the guidelines of the federal government. So we've all we've already got like the the government misinformation at play. But then we also have misinformation coming from within our own community, which also doesn't help. Saying things like minorities can't catch coronavirus. Name one. It doesn't touch them soul food folks. Thanks for that. Walk a flock of flame. You're an asshole. <laughs> or th- no, seriously, or this the persistent rumors that black people are immune to coronavirus. It can't oh happen to God. us. Or this is a white person's disease. This is a white person's thing. Um, I've heard that a couple of times within my community, and it kind of reminds Jeez. me of the the HIV epidemic in the 80s um, mm. when essentially people were bought and sold on the idea that HIV was a white gay man's disease, but uh-huh. flash forward and, and that at the time black people thought they couldn't get it. But now let's flash forward to 2020 and more minorities and people of color have HIV than white people, white people. Yep. That is how these, that's how dangerous these lies are and how they can impact our lives forever. And it's bullshit and it needs to stop. Right. Right. I to this day I'm like where does this whole black people are immune from coronavirus come from and why are we within our own communities perpetuating this dangerous information oh jeez it's crazy and it needs to stop and this is actually one that of all of the ingredients we have talked about today this is actually one that we as community members can get behind we can we can stop spreading the misinformation of black people are immune from coronavirus that's just dumb we can kill that we can't change how our government informs us but we can change that so please Mm -hmm. god to anyone that is listening that is black that is spreading that misinformation please stop it's dangerous Mm -hmm. black people can get coronavirus idris elba has it right now hope he's doing well um right but it's it's just crazy and it saddens me because it does affect the lives of our of ourselves and our families for years to come if we buy into this oh misinformation my gosh, of course Whew. so mix up all those ingredients you can eat this right out of the bowl good luck i bet it's going to be pretty terrible i but agree but there you go there's there's a recipe egg. for disaster. <laughs> yeah, you might it's not die. a pretty sight. No, nope. no. But where do that we go means... from here? Right. I've well, got two calls to action, but I will. If you would like to go first, I will throw it over to you. Oh, this is a this is a tough one. Um, <laughs> I think you said you said one of the first things that were on my mind, which is to stop the misinformation. Where we ourselves can do that. Um, I do think that being realizing that the government isn't going to really um, help us in this situation, that we have to sometimes take matters into our own hands. And mm-hmm. so um, I do think in today's world, um, 
where there are so many things that can be done virtually or digitally, you know, how can we help organizations if it's donating money um, or donating supplies or, um, you know, doing our smart, small parts um, that is going to help the entire community as a whole, because again, this is not just an African American thing. This is an issue, a disease that is affecting everyone, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's important to remember that it's not just African Americans, but because of everything we've just talked about, they (laughs) are getting affected more severely. And so Mm -hmm. um, to just uh, do, I think do what we can in small ways. Um, For me, that would be where I would start. Okay. Cool. I agree with that for sure. Taking matters into our own hands. What else is new? We've been doing it for decades. We will continue to keep doing it. That's true. Um, I've got two pieces. I've got two calls to action. One is broad to all the listeners. And one is more because we've been talking about African-Americans uh, being affected by coronavirus. One is more African-American specific. Um, but I'll go with the broad one first. Let us not forget that staying home for many is simply not an option. I understand that a lot of us are bored to tears. Your family, your roommate, your boo getting on your nerves. And for all that, I am so sorry, but it is all par for this Corona course that we are on. You may be sick of eating the same food or stressed out about new and worthy content to binge, sick of waiting in lines in front of grocery stores. You can't find your favorite juice And so all of that, I say, yep, it fucking sucks. But I challenge anyone listening to this show to when you want to complain or you want to vent, consider that there is someone in the world suffering from or dying of coronavirus or having to put themselves in harm's way to secure a paycheck for their family because they have no other options. People are dying alone because they're unable to breathe. And if you are quarantined at the hospital with coronavirus, you're not hanging out with your loved ones saying your final goodbyes. You're quarantined by yourself. You are. And also, let us still not forget that Asians and Asian Americans are still living under fear and threat because of how our president has racialized this disease. So let's do our best not to complain. Let's do our best to show up for each other. Let's do our best to to lead with kindness and with love, with patience. And if you can't lead with kindness and you can't lead with love and you can't lead with patience and you cannot resist the urge to have a good old fashioned complaining session, please don't spew all that energy and information out into the world. Feel free to DM us at Black mm-hmm. and Yellow Podcast and we will listen. We're happy to shoulder that burden for you guys. But please, these essential workers that are putting their lives and themselves on the line every day, please just make their lives a little bit easier. And let's just understand that they probably don't want to be there either. They probably didn't want to come into work either. So I think leading with kindness. Go for it. I was just going to say, I just had this moment that like, you know, they, it's so ironic that even, even just being quarantined or social distancing, when it seems to be something that is so necessary or like a serious matter, right? That there are people who are not in a position to do that. And I think what you said is, is really touching because 
here we are bitching and moaning that we have to stay at home where there are yeah. people who can't and won't do that. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it is important to take a moment of silence and, you know, take a deep breath and just remember that there are people out there doing the real work. And yes, yep. we are doing the work in a way where we're not going out there and spreading it or catching it even more. Um, so, but it is, it takes, it takes, it takes everyone, not just certain people doing their jobs and certain people not. Right. So, For sure. Yeah. And again, like if you, a good old bitch and complain fast, we are here to listen and here to be your friends through all of this. Um, but just keeping the world a little bit more positive, I think is the best thing we can all do yeah. for each other. Right. More specifically, to any of my African American listeners, young or old, that have old family members, me- family members that are on some form of medication or multiple forms of medication, family members who you know are not in great health, need extra help, need that extra phone call. If these people text, need that extra text message, show up for your relatives. Difference. Absolutely. Show yeah. up for your relatives. Call every day. Hey, auntie, how you doing? You need anything? Oh, you need some chocolate and oatmeal? Oh, you're fi- you're gonna go to Vons? No, you're not. You're gonna keep your butt in the house. Send them and, a pizza. And Amazon. That's right. Amazon gonna get you right. But uh, uh, auntie, stay your butt in the house. This is actually a good time for anyone listening. This is a great time to look at your elders and be like. Get your butt in the house and stay there till I tell you to come out. It's a little you bit of payback. You ever wanted to say that your camp? <laughs> exactly. This is the perfect <laughs> opportunity. <laughs> um, but seriously, like, like these older family members of ours, they really need us to show up for them. I understand that fielding questions about how to hop onto a zoom call and how to text (laughs) and how to FaceTime and all of those technical questions that we are all fielding from family members of all ages are hella annoying. I get it. But y'all there's alcohol. If you are in the state of California and you got that good weed smoke on that and just (laughs) relax a little bit and let's just be patient with our older family members. Um, yeah, that's it. I just, just God, let's keep each other safe. Let's keep each other healthy and keep your family members butts in the houses if they are uh, in poor health. Cause Lord knows all black people can be very hard headed and not fixing to want to listen to anything that the youngins got to tell them. But y'all, this is not the time we have to show up for our older family members. Yeah, I agree. I think it's important to protect each other and to keep each other safe and to be there for each other in one way or another and do our parts. You know, there, like I said, there are people out there really, really doing their parts. And so um, let's do our parts and let's just, um, you know, uh, just stay in it and um, be strong and have faith. And I think it's, it's really amazing what a group of people can accomplish together, you know? So, um, it's it's, uh, it's it's pretty magical so let's let's just keep keep hanging in there and um we'll get through this together and jackie i think you're pretty magical and i think that we should leave the episode right 
there. No, thank you. Magical <laughs> as well, you guys. Uh, thank you for listening. You guys can find us on Instagram as well as Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Um, we are Blood Black and Yellow Podcast on on the gram. You can also rate, review us on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to review. Let us know what you think about this episode. Like Alana said, DM us. We'd love to hear about a, about about you. We'd love to hear from you guys um, about our show. Really, you have no idea. Um, it really warms our hearts and makes our days. Um, so if you're bored and you're listening, if you're not bored or you're not now you're mad, let us know what you think. Um, <laughs> and we'd really appreciate any kind of feedback. Um, it does bring so much joy to us. Yeah, especially right now, um, those rates and reviews are really crucial for us to get this show to more ears. So again, if you're bored and just want to be a little bit of a of a helper, hop on over to Apple Podcasts. You can just hit those five star buttons. You don't even have to write out a long review. You can just put "good show." Every little bit helps. We're very appreciative. <laughs> uh, if you want to find us individually on the gram, I am Alana Webster at Renegade of Fun. I'm Jacqueline Chung Young on the gram. Um, and stay safe, guys. And talk to you soon. Love you guys. Bye. Bye bye.